Welcome to the Demipod with me, James Demipod. And I, I'm very excited about this week's special guest. We have met before. And actually, the last time we met, I really didn't feel that I'd done him justice. Um, his name is Alexander Adams. We met, didn't we, Alexander, at the Battle of Ideas. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed a moment with you then. Um, you're a, an art critic, um, which, which, which sounds like it's not as exciting as I think the stuff you actually write. I mean, you really are amazing. In fact, I'll tell you a, a secret, uh, which you may find embarrassing or you may find pleasing, which is that I keep a copy of your book, which is here, by my loo. And every time I go for a dump, I read a few a few paragraphs of your essays in that book. Culture War, Art, Identity, Politics and Cultural Entryism, which by weird topical coincidence has on its cover a picture of a statue being pulled down. And I know and, and you contacted me, you said, look, can we talk about iconoclasm? And you are the man to talk about it, both from both from an art historical perspective and also from a, a kind of culture wars perspective. And you poor sod. Where do you live? Tell us tell us where you I live. I live I live for my sins in Bristol, England. Mm. Which is the site um, of well, do you, do you want to intro it or shall I? No, you tell us about Bristol. I mean, I, I used to love Bristol. I used to like going down there, but it, I, I mean, it's it's fallen, hasn't it? Well, I mean, I, I've, I've known it for five years. I've lived here for five years and um, I moved here because the quality of life is very good. It's, it's quite a handsome city. There's lots of old parts of it. It wasn't completely bombed during the war. It's in... Uh, you know, it gets good air. We're quite close to the sea. Um, the traffic's not great, but uh, I don't drive, so that doesn't matter. And um, okay, so basically, before we have to start this conversation, I have to put on the record that I do not support slavery now, in the past, or in the future. I do not support or endorse enslavement or the slave trade. And now what? you're wondering why. You no, know, you're having I'm, to say. I'm going to throw you off the pod for that. <laughs> You're, you're thinking, why, why is he stating the bleeding obvious? Because yeah, yeah. we can have this discussion and people at the end of it are going to do a Kathy Newman. They're going to say, so what you're saying is you support slavery. So I need to get uh, out. To- I actually, actually, mate, I, I, I think you overestimate the, the, the number of SJW types who watch this podcast. I, I, I think I'm so niche now. I don't think anyone... <laughs> And I think the only people who come to you, I've almost reached the stage and I think it's a good thing rather than a bad thing. I don't want to tempt fate here, but I almost think that I'm I'm too small for them to give a damn about. Um, so I'm just this, this kind of niche purveyor of of politically incorrect entertainment to people who've had just about enough. But that's fine. I, 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 I think we've, we've got a good thing going here. And I really value having you. Let me just explain why I think your your book, Culture War, uh, is is just one of the best books on the subject of, um, well, particularly the the way that the left uses art as a way or abuses art as a way of destroying Western civilization. Because, of course, so much of our civilization is dependent on art, on the canon, on our history, on our understanding of that shared history, um, which is actually what what you were what you were saying in in, in that article I read. Uh, maybe I should put a link to it, but maybe you're just going to repeat it anyway, so maybe there's no need. But but the article you wrote for was it Ario? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the, there's two articles. There's one I wrote for Ario, which is about iconoclasm. And then I have a related one on, well, there's, there's a different topic anyway uh, that we might get to later okay. on. But the principal one is that it's an essay on, um, what's it called? It's called uh, Iconoclasm and uh, Icon- Iconoclasm and the Erasing of History on ariomagazine.com. Okay, so let's cut to the chase. Um, 
imagine I'm a typical a typical Bristolian. I've got I've got um, probably I'm white, obviously. I've got long dreadlocks, or maybe I haven't anymore. Maybe that's cultural appropriation. Uh, <laughs> but in the, back in the day, they used to have matted dread dreadlocks, didn't they? Yeah. I probably live in a very expensive house provided for me by, by my parents because I'm a trustafarian, but I've got very left wing views. And I think that I cheered when when the people of Bristol pulled down the statue of the hateful Edward Colston and 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 uh, symbolically put their knees on his on his bronze neck and then dragged him into to the docks and chucked him in the river because he was a slave trader and and there was no room for slave trade in the modern age or no room for celebrating it. How would you respond to this um, this open and shut argument? Uh, uh, I would say welcome to the rest of the human race. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what why they thought they were achieving. I think it was a celebration. It was a carnival. They wanted to blow off steam. They wanted to show that they were opposed to slavery, um, which I believe is uh, the current position throughout almost the entire population of Great Britain and um, the Western world. And they thought, well, you know, because we don't really have many problems with sort of um, police brutality, aside from, you know, what, whatever happened uh, in Minneapolis, because it's obviously that was, you know, a very um, disturbing video. And, you know, clearly that, you know, there should be some sort of justice and this should be fully pursued and prosecuted if, you know, I think it's a fairly clear case that there needs to be some sort of prosecution. But we don't have any racial flashpoints at the moment. We have had them in Britain in the past. Bristol is a city, is a very, very left-wing city, as you know. It's very, it's re it, it is relatively affluent with patches of deprivation. It's got a, a fair-sized um, migrant population and sort of ethnic minority population. Um, well, particularly in St Paul's, you had the St Paul's riots, didn't you? Yeah. A few years back, I remember those. And so, so there is a there is a sort of black black um, community in in Bristol, which produced the Bristol sound. I mean, it, we had things like Tricky and Massive Attack. That was probably the last time Bristol contributed anything useful to our our culture, wasn't it? Um, well, you're overlooking Banksy. Aren't you a Banksy fan? I think Banksy is absolutely. In fact, you tell me about. Go on. Before we move on to Colston, I think Banksy is shit. I think. I think almost everything that's wrong with our culture is embodied by Banksy, and his his take on the world is so achingly obvious. So he thinks that what war uh, he, is he, bad. He thinks, he wait, so. No, he thinks he thinks that war is bad. He thinks that the police are mindless thugs. He thinks that uh, Brexit voters are um, bigoted Neanderthals. Neanderthals. Yeah. Uh, he thinks he thinks that migrants are, you know, cult culturally enriching always with no drawbacks. Yeah. Um, you know, capitalism's bad. Ooh, you know. Um, and he's he, the master of the edgy hot take, isn't he? He he he, <laughs> he makes art out of really hot takes. But I, but the thing I I. I uh, the thing I really felt last time when we talked is that um, I never kind of got out, out of you quite the depth of your art historical knowledge. You really know your you know your stuff. Um, and can I just brief because I like doing digressions before we move on to, to um, iconoclasm and stuff. Um, is Banksy going to find his way into the canon? Is he in the canon already? In fact. Um. If if there is enough, if he becomes popular enough, if he's influential enough, if he's considered good enough as an artist of his type, he could enter the canon. There's no reason for him not to. Uh, um, no, but I think his, I don't. I think it's hard to sort of prejudge history. I think you can only really sort of say with certainty, you know, like oh, someone from the last thirty or fifty years has entered the canon. He, it isn't really time enough to judge. Too soon. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So who's but, but you say uh, Basquiat is in the canon, isn't he now? Uh, I would say he's I would say he's entered by now. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoy his stuff. I think he's got loads of got loads of punch, loads of energy, um, very painterly artists. 
um, very rich, wide source of um, sources and influences. I think he's pretty inventive as well. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to like about him. I think he can be repetitious. I think he can be derivative. But I think you could say that about almost any artist. They have sort of their 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 major works and their minor works, and then they've got works that sort of um, you know sort of five finger exercises. I'm glad you said that. I, I thought I thought you were going to diss Basquiat. Um, mm. I think we did briefly touch on him in our last our last podcast. But but um, I I I think he's great. I mean I, or, I mean he gives me great pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he gives me pleasure in the way an artist that you don't like so much gives me pleasure. That's, I love David Hockney. You're you're not such a fan, are you? Yeah. Well, we covered this before. I said I said it was quite. I quite like some of his early prints and drawings, and I think I think they're very skillful. Um, but I, I wouldn't go for any further than that. No, and I think, the, I right. think, my sorry. Thing, sorry, about anyway, about the canon, it's worth saying that um, you can accept the concept of the canon without having to accept that, without having to falsely praise any of the artists who are actually in there. You can say, well, I disagree with this artist, and you can set up your own canon and you can put that out there, um, and you can disagree and you can critique the, the artists who are in the canon. But you cannot remove them. You cannot ex cathedra say, "Well, this artist cannot be in the canon." It's a question of it's um, it's a collective endeavour, and you may not like, and you're not expected to praise artists who are in there who you don't like. You can dissent, um, and it's through this debate about the qualities of various artists that we reach a consensus, an overall consensus, and that is the Western canon. It's not imposed from above, which is something that your feminists will tell you that was a patriarchal canon. No. It's a canon of what has influenced artists and art collectors and art lovers and writers and theorists. And many of those are women. And many of the artists entering the canon in recent decades are women. Yes. Actually, this started out as a digression, but I actually realised that this debate is very relevant to what we're going to discuss later about, about iconoclasm, which is that what what would you call them? The cultural Marxists, the social justice warriors. What do you call the modern left? What's your catch-all term? Uh, well, I, I try and I try to avoid SJW because that's kind of derogatory. Um, I say sort of uh, social activists, which is a more neutral right. term. Um, and you could have a <laughs> theoretic. I mean, like you could be uh, in the nineteenth century, and you could be an, abol- an abolitionist. That would be a form of uh, social activism, which I think uh, most of us would agree was um, worthwhile and something that we we can subscribe to. But a lot of those big causes have gone now and you've got people who have a religion shaped hole in their life because they're not Christians. And they've sought out this cult of social justice. And social activism is a way of enacting that social justice. It's a way of, of, you know, sort of, of showing your fealty to the cult of social justice. And this is what well, you're showing your virtue. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that the difference is that in the past we embodied our virtues by acting in a virtuous way. And this was sometimes done privately and sometimes never seen at all. It was it was in the way you lived your life. And it was often private and it was hard work and it was something that you did throughout your life. And it wasn't something that you necessarily expected to be rewarded for, except in heaven if you were a Christian. However, today, virtue is not embodied, it is displayed. It is signalled and you post it on Instagram and you expect to get pats on the back for it. And I don't think that's virtue. Yes, yes. Um, and so we have this movement, call it, call it what you will. I mean, I, I think SJWs for sure is works. Um, that they want to remake our world. I mean, it's almost like a a year zero thing, isn't it? Yeah. They want to destroy our past. Um, yeah, it's it, reject it's, everything that we've accumulated the value. Yeah. So the, the the article of the new article I've written, which has not appeared yet, but will either appear on my website or will appear on Spiked or maybe some other outlet. I was my title was towards Britain's year zero, because this is oh. this is this is completely in line with revolutionary philosophy, is that um, you have a problem, your, pa- your past is uh, constraining you, it is uh, unjust, you are the product of that injustice and this inequity, and you must correct this by erasing history, by destroying history, by destroying the art of the history. 
the, sort of the history of the art of your history, your cultural background. So in the article in ARIO, I wrote uh, about the cultural revolution and the way that the cultural revolution was, it was a cult of personality. People, the Chinese uh, had spent sort of, you know, one generation of the school children had never known anything but Mao. They venerated him. He came in above the heads of the Chinese Communist Party and said, um, you are being held back by old beliefs, by old, by old ideas, by old standards. We need to remove those old standards. We need to return to a pure revolution. We need this revolution at the baseline. So we need a year zero. And this instituted an era of, of a cultural holocaust where they destroyed old temples, scrolls, artworks. They even vandalized, they destroyed Confucius's grave. They dug up uh, old saints and the graves of um, priests and they hacked apart the bones. They, um, they tortured uh, nuns, they tortured um, monks, Buddhist monks and uh, Christian monks. And it was, this, it was this fury, this wave of moral indignation that made them tear down old statues, which takes us to what happened on Sunday in, in Britain. We've also been, have had two generations of people indoctrinated in left-wing ideas about um, post-colonialism, decolonization, feminism, uh, you know, race activism and so forth. And people have been trained to believe that Britain is a hateful country and that they have inherited a race guilt. If you are white and you are British, you are responsible for the slave trade. Never, never mind all the other examples of the slave trade, which don't really count, but you are uniquely responsible for what has happened in the past. And the only way to expiate your guilt you won't be able to do it completely, but you can just make a demonstration of it by tearing down a statue, by defacing a statue, by burning a picture, by burning a book, uh, maybe firebombing a building or two. Right. Just, just rewind a second. Um, the Cultural Revolution was, what, about 1975? No, it was, no, 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 it was, it was the late, I think it was about 68 or 66, oh, okay. 68. So it was in the late 60s and it carried on for about five or 10 years, but, uh, but, the, but it had to be scaled back so disastrously because it was absolutely, it, was, it caused, caused the deaths of millions and millions of people. It was, it was absolutely, you know, you had, you had troops of school children sort of killing their teachers. You had, um, and you had the, what happened was the, the police, the, the, the political police were told to step back, that they couldn't interfere, they couldn't restrain the... Um, Sounds familiar. The, the young guard, the young guard of idealists who were, who were, the, sol who were the, sol the new soldiers of the revolution. Um, so it started in the mid-60s, late 60s, and it carried on until, I think, um, the, the early 70s. It petered out because it had to be controlled very quickly because it was escalating into extreme mob violence and uh, um, complete social breakdown. Um, and, and it, would, and it, was, it was directed by Mao, but it wasn't, it wasn't controlled on every level. But he seemed, soon realised that it was actually very dangerous for him and for the whole country. How much stuff was damaged? I mean, how much of, of China's historical heritage was was destroyed? The, the Did put a percentage think, on it or not? Um, the, I think there's a large amount. Um, let's let's have a look because I, I mentioned in the article um, also the example of um, what happened in uh, Dublin where they destroyed a statue of um, Nelson. Uh, yeah, Nelson. Yes, that's right. It was Nelson. Uh, okay, so I've got a quote here from a book that I used as a source. Uh, by the end of the Cultural Revolution, 4,922 of the 6,843 registered officially designated sites of cultural of, or historical interest in Beijing had been destroyed. So that's two thirds of these cultural places, cultural significance places in Beijing had been completely destroyed. The Kofu Temple and grave on and grave and temple of Confucius was desecrated and 6,618 registered cultural artifacts uh, had been liquidated at that one site. Um, okay, so uh, we've got the Cultural Revolution in China. We've had the ISIS destroying Palmyra 
and also uh, the Taliban destroying the Buddhas of Bamiyan. Um, and then if you go to the British Museum, you see stuff that uh, Assyrian um, reliefs, but presumably the Assyrians destroyed things that came before them. I mean, I suppose there's a there's a there's a, a long history of iconoclasm and destruction. What what's the, what's the purpose of it? Well, I mean, it goes back. Uh, I mean, it goes back at least to Roman times. You had the you had the cases of um, where emperors would want to destroy the memory of a previous emperor, so they would they would have the the inscriptions and the faces hacked off um, carvings. Um, in Rome and throughout the empire, um, and it's, it, it comes back to this idea of it's it's partly emotional, you know, it's partly a venting of emotion, uh, it's partly tactical, um, because if you control the past, if you erase the past, no one can quote the past against you, no one can use evidence from the past against you because the evidence doesn't exist. Um, also, you you shape the way the future is seen because. You have erased um, what was said before, people who came before, and you leave your own mark, uh, even if that mark is you defacing something. Um, and I think that uh, there's, and there's also, you can use it as a, as a tactical thing. I mean, the suffragettes used iconoclasm during the 1910s. Actually, it was a campaign that started in about 1910 and went up to 1914 and ended only with the, the commencement of the Second World War. Uh, first of all, um, the, what you had was you had suffragettes going into public uh, public galleries and defacing paintings. Now, sometimes they was, these were tactical things, so they were attacking a portrait of a, a grand sort of lord or a politician or something. Sometimes it would be to do with um, a portrayal of beauty. There was, I think there was one suffragette who said, um, you know, I hated to see this beautiful image of a beautiful woman, so I attacked it because of the way they treat women in such an ugly way in society. So this, this was a sort right. of proto-feminist, proto of course. Um, right. and, this, and this was a series of attacks that took place in, all over Britain in major art galleries for, I think there was about sort of 20, 20 of them, 30 of them. And these were all reported in the news and they were actually quite carefully staged and coordinated. And these reports appeared in the news and they only ended when the First World War commenced. Interestingly, many of these suffragettes went on to become major figures in the British Union of Fascists in the 1930s. So I think um, this tells you something about the psychology of people who feel it is their duty and their right to destroy um, as part of their expression. Yes. And of course, so much of Britain's um, history particularly art history has been destroyed was destroyed during the reformation wasn't it i mean i i imagine that was the the worst period of destruction with there's, there's there's virtually no surviving medieval art that uh, unless it's been hidden behind partitions and things i mean the wilson diptych is one of the few surviving pieces from that period isn't it Yes, that's right. So that's why it's a, it's a particularly good good example, but we don't have anything much to compare it to. I mean, we have a few um, fres um, not frescoes, but murals that were painted over white, so they were saved um, because they were they were just simply covered up. People didn't know they existed, or perhaps people were covering them up in order to preserve them because they thought, well, maybe at some stage this will be uncovered. Um, yeah. So I, I was really it's really interesting when I was researching iconoclasm. I did. Um, I read in a history book that iconoclasm of the Reformation was one of the only times it was a bottom-up movement, a widespread movement of anger and iconoclasm. Previously, they had some other examples of, um, I think there was a king who was particularly upset about the sort of the, the iconography of Thomas a Becket who had been martyred. Uh, and he was quite, and he was frustrated about this. And he, he actually commanded that people deface um, the sort of icons of, of uh, Thomas a Becket because it was seen as a, as a as a threat to royal authority. So this was actually imposed from the top. But the Reformation was an example of um, ordinary people taking out a very strong and viscerally held and directed 
animus towards the Catholic Church. And I think this is principally to do with corruption. I think that people have seen a lot of corruption. They've seen the selling of indulgences. They saw um, monks and priests becoming very rich. Uh, and they saw this as uh, ungodly. And they also saw it as exploitation. So there's class jealousy. There's a sense of religious grievance that these this is actually sinful. Uh, and there's also, yeah, so so I think there's many elements that go into it. And the, the iconoclasm of the Reformation in England is one of the few, few examples of really a real groundswell of strong feeling, which leads to the destruction of art and artefacts and relics and so forth. Right. OK, so the Reformation was what round about Henry VIII? Wasn't uh, yeah, it was 15... 1530s or something, yeah, 1540s. So, so, so the the break with Rome was the excuse from on top that gave the people the 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 the, the reason they needed to start smashing up stuff, smashing up monasteries and whatever. Yes, and then Henry, Henry VIII then of course, authorized this. He permitted it. Henry VIII authorized. Okay, so he made it. Yes, exactly. So he made it legitimate. And then um, we of course had the Puritans with their version of iconoclasm, um, the, the Puritans stabling their horses in Durham Cathedral and just causing no end of, of, of damage to what was left, I suppose, from the Reformation. Yeah. And, and additionally, um, one, of their, one of the big prizes, of course, was they sold off Charles I's art collection. So that's why you have so many great pictures in foreign collections all over Europe that uh, used to belong to Charles I that were sold by the um, the Puritans. The, 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 uh, the right. I'd forgotten that. Well, I, didn't, I don't think I even knew that detail. So my goodness. So we so when we look enviously at the connect collections in the, the Louvre and, and the, I don't know, the Uffizi or, or wherever, yeah. all the great galleries of, of Europe, that this stuff should have been ours. We, yeah, this is this is the family silver that they sold off to pay for um, whatever the Commonwealth was doing in the sort of in, the, in that particular era. Yeah. Well, I imagine that they, they they sold it off to pay for all the kind of the um, grim outfits that they wore and the hats, big big hats. Yeah, I, I don't something know. like that. Well, because because there was no there was no direct taxation, as it were. So I guess this was sort of. Uh, general general bu general bo booty for the state right i see okay so what 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 uh, what have we lost by not having that medieval art and 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 by not having the things that the puritans destroyed uh i think it disconnects us from our history i think it's um the thing about the history is that you should have a fair selection of it, both good and bad, of the things that you care about and the things that you have, you reject as a society. You learn from your past and you learn from doing things differently from your past, as well as from admiring the past and following the great art of the canon. So the British canon, I mean, I think it, 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 it impoverished British art because we lost a lot of whatever native British art there was. Because you'll find that uh, a lot of the court artists from the um, late Middle Ages on, from the Stuarts or from the Tudors onwards, is basically foreign artists who come over here. And there, um, you know, so you have um, Van Dyck and you have Lely and various other uh, painters from the Low Countries and so forth coming over and, and working in the court. Uh, Hans Holbein, of course, the most famous of all. Um, they come over and they, and they, and this is what our art now consists of. Yet there was another tradition, there was a native British tradition that we've lost because most of it has been destroyed. So we, we have this sort of discontinuous um, past where we only see the great art of the court, but we've lost a lot of the folk art, a lot of the common art, a lot of the common sacred art because it was completely, almost completely destroyed during the Reformation. Yes, that's now you put it like that. That is awful. So you you would have you would have had um, people being students of 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 great artists, but that connection between our past has completely 
completely gone. Do we, do we, apart from the Wilton diptych, do we have any idea whether our old art was any good or not, our, our, our native tradition? Um, I mean, that's a good piece, but it's really, we don't know if it's representative or not. And we don't know what, we don't know enough about what the what the native tradition was to distinguish it from the the painting of the low countries i assume it would have been something similar to the painting of the low countries rather than germanic yes. or rather than french but it's but we have so little of it it's very difficult to tell and the international gothic style has certain strands that you can you can detect as coming from a certain place but what the british tradition was in fine art we don't know because there's so little of it right um, so let's fast forward to the present. And I don't know about you, but I'm really, really worried about what is happening now. I mean, so we had the, the, the crowd successfully pulling down a statue of Edward Colston, which, which, let's face it, the leftists in Bristol have been agitating for for some time because yeah. of Edward Colston's uh, involvement with the, what's it called, the Africa um, the, 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 company, the, the, yeah, and the, the transatlantic slave uh, trade and so forth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't just slaves, was it? It was all manner of trading with mm. with with West Africa. Um, and he was a man of his time. I mean, I imagine that nobody yeah, it was, was, really he, he was, engage, he was engaging. Trade. He was engaging in practice that was perfectly legal at the time. And that's not to say it was universally approved of in moral terms, which is why things changed and which is why... Britain evolved and said, well, actually, you know, having taken up the slave trade, which they picked up from the Arabs, because there was not a, there was not a tradition of slavery in Britain or in England, uh, it didn't exist. It came from Arabia. It was from contact of, in the Near East. And this was something that we perpetuated for uh, 200, 250 years. And then we changed and we became the leading country working for the abolition of the slave trade around the world. Yes. Um, yes. But, yeah. So that, that's 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 so, the side of the story that doesn't really fit with the Marxist narrative. Also, uh, I mean, Edward Colston, um, he was a great benefactor of of Bristol. It established numerous almshouses and schools and other charitable foundations, and presumably. As well as Colston, the Bristol original would... Colston Hall. Colston Hall, which yes, is one well, of the major music venue. Yeah, great, great music venue, exactly. Um, and I imagine that he contributed greatly to the prosperity of the city. It wouldn't be what it is today without Edward Colston, I would, I would guess. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that... Um, <clears throat> I think the, the statue was posthumous. I don't know when the statue was created, but I presumably it was posthumous to mark uh, his contribution to the city, to his native city. Yeah. And also yeah. remember, he's, yeah. he's providing lots. He's providing lots of employment for people in the city. Um, so you know, he was he was a major employer as well. <laughs> so again, to pose that original question to you, slavery is bad. Slavery is slavery is abhorrent why should why should we have a statue in bristol to a slaver why should it be allowed to stay up because you can't teach your history if you've erased it you can't say how bad slavery is and you say oh well actually slave owners were really important and they they had loads of wealth and influence and they used to dominate the city and yet we can't give you a single name of a building which is named often we haven't got a single statue of them you know people think did this really happen? Did this really exist? Yes, it did really exist. So keep the statues, keep the place names, and you put a plaque next to it. You put a plaque next to it and explain why this place name as is, is as it is, and you contextualise it. And you keep your history and you show this is something that we don't appreciate anymore. This is something that, okay, it was appreciated at the time, it was legal, it was thought appropriate. Now, think about whether you think this is appropriate. This is the way you teach it. This is the way you show the history. This is the way you learn from history by having examples of history that you reject as well as things that you celebrate. And so once you have that history, you can teach it. If you erase it, then who's to say it was over there at all? Maybe it's a lie. Maybe it never really existed. Yes. Yes. And of course, there's a, there's a more worrying element to this, isn't there? Which, as you argue in your 
excellent REO essay that once you start pulling down statues, that's it can turn much, much nastier than that. Explain. And, uh, <clears throat> well, it, it, the reason it, it escalates is, well, let's look at what happened. It's not just the actions of the mob, it's the actions of the people around the mob. So this crowd was, there were police at the event and they did not stop it. In fact, some of them said they approved of it. The Bristol Council said they approved of it. They turned it actually into a, into a social media event. They said, we support the fight against sort of slavery and racism. So, you know, hashtag take the knee, do, do, do an Instagram photo and, and do hashtag take the knee or whatever to show your support for the demonstrators who are fighting racism on our streets today. Um, but, but never mind the, the COVID lockdown, that doesn't apply today or something. Yes. And the, and the, mayor, the, the mayor also approved as well. I was going to say, didn't the, I understand that the mayor of the mayor of Bristol, who's black, and I think was celebrating this as uh, I think he, he said something about the damage done to our people as, oh, as, as though he only rep, he only represented black people in Bristol, which I think is a bit of a dodgy thing for a mayor to do. Well, maybe but he's maybe, maybe think, that maybe that's the way he feels. Maybe that's maybe that's the way he sees himself. Yeah. I, I think he was in the police control room when the operation took place. It, it, the, the, as I understand it, the rank and file, I, I got this off a, an ex-copper off Twitter who's been talking to his friends in Bristol. And the story I heard was that the rank and file coppers knew this was happening, said to their superiors, look, we should do something about this. They're getting grappling irons and and you know ropes and things they're ready to take down this statue it's going to be a civil disorder we should we should deal with it and the superiors said no we're gonna we're gonna take a back seat on this one we we, we don't want to get in the way uh almost as though they actually wanted it to happen and you see that in some of the interviews the I superior, think, with, the superiors the, did, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. i mean they're in they're in lockstep with the council with the mayor um i haven't heard what the mps have to say i'm sure they supported it as well and they're all left-wing mps so yeah, yes. so it's so it's sort of it's um yeah it's a political violence for me but not for thee. It's you know when it serves yes. the cause when 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 you know it's it's part it's part of the comradely struggle against the dead dead slave owners. Yeah, congratulations! You get to you get you get your little you get your chance to take a, an Instagram selfie with a with a statue you've destroyed. Yeah, well done. Congratulations. Um, yes. And so the, pro so the problem is this, this gives tacit approval. So no one's going to get, I shouldn't imagine anyone's going to get prosecuted for this. No one's going to pay costs for this. It's not going to get restored. What we're going to get is, I mean, I don't know, but I'm 90% sure it's going to be a statue of a slave or it's going to be a slave or it's going to be a monument to slavery. And you imagine what happened if a mob of white supremacists came to defile that. Do you think the police would back off then? Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess, and I'm going to say no. But I reckon good, they'd send in the right police. The good thing is, the good thing is, James, that will not happen because in Britain we don't have enough white supremacists to form a rugby team, let alone a mob. So it's an academic. That's a, that's a very good point. Uh, obviously, I'm concerned about about um, the city's historic architectural heritage being artistic heritage being destroyed that's that's bad but equally worrying i think is that is the point you made that if the police are now signaling that that they define what is and isn't crime what is and isn't vandalism based, in a politically based on, directed manner exactly based on how politically acceptable it is so suddenly the police have decided that it is if a cause is politically acceptable to them then vandalism is justified mob mob violence is justified now that's that's really scary isn't it yeah because um what happens next what's the next statue what's the next target um you know we've got to got to pull down some plaques got to pull down some gravestones got to smash some windows because they were donated by you know this trader or that trader you know you know we'll have to you know smash a few cathedral windows yeah yeah. So and then yes. you start burning, then you burn, you burn some books. And if anyone says, hey, 
perhaps that's a bad thing. Maybe we should keep those things, even though you don't agree with them. We can't remove things by force, by violence, by disorder. Then those people become targets. That's it. That, that iconoclasm is a gateway drug towards violence on living, breathing people. Yes. Is it not? Yeah. What, what happens? So if we're measuring justification for violence by strength of feeling. So what happens when people string feel very, very strongly about what the mayor's done? Maybe they feel very strongly. Maybe they want to burn down his office. Maybe they want to burn down his house. Who's to say? Because they feel very passionately about their cause. Why shouldn't they be allowed to burn down some houses? Mm. Yeah. You, you see, you can't, well, exactly. you, can't, you can't start picking and choosing what illegal activity you're going to prosecute and what you're going to sort of actually tacitly encourage. And the problem is that yeah. now the precedent has been set. People all over Britain have seen what happened in London at, on the same day, and they saw what happened in Bristol, and they saw nothing happened. They saw there were no prosecutions, there was no riot police, no one was going in with batons. And so this, yes. is, tacit, this, this is a gateway to the next act, because why should they stop? They had a buzz, they had a riot. They had a good time. They got some selfies. They were fighting the patriarchy, except, of course, the, the establishment completely approved of it. The Bristol establishment completely approved of this act of um, cultural vandalism. I tell you one of the things that, that, that's been worrying me. I, I've been following the reporting on Twitter and I noticed I noticed that quite a few of my my conservative friends. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the word is for kind of being of the same view as, as me, you know, whether you're classical liberal or libertarian or people generally on the right. I was disappointed to see some of them saying stuff like, well, I I disapprove of of, of slavery. I think that they, you know, why should the, yeah, yeah. I, or, or, or even sort of the, the, the younger groovy ones doing lols about how how hey, um, if you looked at the 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 uh, the geo the geo map of of where the statue is now, it's it's been located underneath the the water in the docks, and that this is this is really this is really yeah. funny. Do you, and, do you know and, who also do you know who retweeted that photograph, um, that sort of Google Maps image, and um, the ICA's yeah. director, the director of the ICA said, "Good for them. Good for them for destroying property." Good for them for destroying sculpture. Let's now let's talk about reparations. So this is the director of the ICA in London, the Institute of Contemporary Arts. Who, who what is? I, I, I imagine it's a long time since he's the ICA has cared uh, much he's about a, art. He's an, uh, he's an, ident he's an <laughs> itinerant uh, art curator who um, called Stefan Kalmar. Uh, he lives in Berlin. Doesn't even live in London. It's not his cultural. He's a sort of pop up. Yeah. Pop-up art director. Yeah, he, he, yeah. he, he doesn't. It doesn't matter because when the ICA is closed due to various reasons, which I think maybe is the subject for another podcast. Um, when when the ICA gets closed down, he'll just move to a part-time job in Barcelona or New York or Montreal. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to him. So at the moment, yes. he's advocating. We, the German person, is advocating that we destroy our own culture. Thank you very much. But anyway, yes. but I, what I would say is to your friends. Who, who are so opposed to slavery and to also to those um, young, brave activists who defied the, the corona lockdown on Sunday, I would say to them, why don't you go to one of the many, many mosques in Bristol and look the imam in the eye and have a discussion with him about whether or not he supports the Quranic principle of enslavement, which is currently being practiced in Chad, Mali, Sudan, uh, Niger. So today, the Quran is being the, today the Quran is being used to justify enslavement of real living people today. How concerned are yeah. they about that? How much did they know about mm. it? They didn't even know it existed. But I guess there. But I guess anti-slavery activity can activity can take all forms. I don't think that a lot of even on the right i'm afraid that that many people have the intellectual tools the kind of structured belief system to understand why it is that 
even if the statue of a slaver is of a slaver, you shouldn't pull it down. They don't seem to make the connection that with history, uh, with the need to preserve some link with the past in order to give our, ourselves a sort of cultural cohesion and a sense of national identity. They don't they don't get that because you wouldn't, for example, get I was disappointed with Andrew Neil, for example. Uh, um, Andrew Neil, he's, he's not he's not stupid. He's a conservative and there aren't many out conservative voices in our culture at the moment for obvious reasons. It's pretty and much today, a unicorn, isn't it? Andrew, it? Yeah, well, certainly at the BBC. Andrew tweeted out that he was glad that in Belgium, well, I don't know if it was in Belgium, I presume it was in Belgium, they had pulled down a statue to Leopold II because he was responsible for genocide. Well, I know that genocide is is bad, okay. Um, I, I'm not sure we really needed Andrew Neil to tell us that. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what the point of his tweet was other than to, to sort of virtue signal and enable him, I suppose, to be conservative on other issues. But well, explain what's wrong with, with e well, even... I, I, I think that Andrew Neil was completely correct because when I walked through Broadkey past the Colston statue, as I did every day when I before I was furloughed, when we still had jobs and could go to an office, yeah. I walked past that Long statue. Long time ago, that. Yeah, I walked past that statue every day. And every time I walked past that statue, I felt an urge, a strange urge to enslave people. But now it's gone. I, I think I'll probably be okay. I probably don't think I'm going to be enslaving anyone. So I think it worked. I think the problem... Well, that's good. I think the problem with conservatives is that um, they, 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 they're so complacent. Because they think that even like the, the, the white middle class liberals who are sort of feel guilt about something they didn't do and something they not even their grandparents did, is that they think if they give, they think that this is limited. They think they can stop it. They think the mob is only going to go after things that they disapprove of or dislike. But the mob is not going to stop. This, the, the dynamic of the mob and the psychology of the mob and the lack of restraint for a mob, I'm talking here about a mob, about a group of people who engage in violent action. I'm, I'm not talking about protesters or crowds. Those are different things, but I'm talking here about the mob. The psychology of the mob will lead them to go further. They, they must go further. And also they, they are led by people who are committed political activists, who are extremists, who are radicals, and they will never be satisfied. They want to destroy more and more because they are filled with hatred for our society and for our history and they are not going to stop with a couple of statues they're going to go for church windows they're going to go for cathedrals they're going to go for paintings in pictures they're going to be smashing up um portrait busts they're going to be burning books and the thing is that with conservatives and these middle class liberals who think oh well, I, I don't like slavery and oh, maybe maybe that will be okay it's not going to stop them it encourages them it will go on and on um and it's going to lead to deaths. And maybe those deaths will be you know, accidental. Maybe, you know, someone's going to get burned up in a fire. Well, you know, it happens when you're rioting. But um, yeah. I, I think the Conservatives are far too complacent about it. Yes. I almost feel that that's a kind of natural conclusion to this, this conversation. Because, yeah, uh, I, I fear this too. I mean, I've been, I've been getting a lot of... A lot of messages today, um, particularly on my Patreon, actually, from people who've kind of seen me as a kind of uh, a sort of helm's deep, you know, one of the few voices left that's that's really standing up for our Western civilization. I mean, it really is. I, 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 I think it, I was quite pissed off by that Andrew Neil tweet and, I, and Alison Pearson, who I, you know, I'm normally a fan of. She tweeted something similar about how she was happy for the Colston statue to be pulled out. What is it about about culture that you do not? What is it about the culture wars that you do not get that we really are in dangerous times? And it's not just in the UK either. I mean, mm -hmm. America's got just just a, a, actually a quick word about pulling down statues of Robert E. Lee, yeah. for example, Confederate statue. What? what? Still, still, they're still doing it. They were doing it. What was it? Was it? Oh, yeah, it was in the Trump thing. It was, was 2016. I wrote a article about them, and I said this is going to continue. This is going to get worse. 
I said we should keep these statues, we should contextualize them. If they're in immediate danger, then maybe they should be taken inside buildings. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're going to they're break into buildings eventually. They're going to burn down art galleries and so forth. Um, so yeah, where does so, it so How, how does it stop this happening? Um, you protect these things. You protect objects with police. When violence starts, you disperse the crowd. Uh, when people commit violence or um, uh, damage things, then you, uh, you prosecute them. You find them. You have... People who are responsible in government, so you have local politicians, national politicians, condemning this, condemning violence, saying, look, if you don't like this, win some elections, get some people into local council, and we'll talk about maybe contextualising things, possibly moving some things into museums. But that's as much as you get. We need to, we need to stand firm, and people should not be ashamed or afraid to say, People should follow the law. There's lots of stuff that I see in art galleries that I don't like. I would rather it's not there. I would rather the money hadn't been spent on it. I find it irritating or frustrating and sometimes upsetting. But I've never assaulted it. I've never attacked it. And we have to say, look, you, as well as we, have to abide by this principle of non-intervention, non-violent intervention, because... The hammers that get used on statues eventually get used on people's skulls. Nice one. I think that's a good a good ending. Thank you, Alexander Adams. And I, and I really do recommend your book, Culture War, Art, Identity, Politics and Cultural Entryism. Actually, I particularly recommend it to, to undergraduates, people who need to understand clearly why things like the canon matter. Because, I mean, you know, I, it affects me too as a you know as a student of english literature it's that we've got the same problems people studying history got the same problems they want to decolonize the curriculum they because of course supposedly it's been it favors dead white european males but that you explain why the canon is the way it is and why it works and why we need it and why you can't just come along and and, and take the year zero approach so thank you alexander very much and My it's been nice talking to you it's been right. great. Thank you very much, James. Thanks.